Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Tractor Zoom, where data meets diesel. I like that, dude. You guys, you guys should capture that into a nice little bow and keep that, keep that trademarked or something like that. Because that's a that's a quality, that's a quality statement. We got Kyle McMahon with me here. Kyle is with. He's the founder and CEO of Tractor Zoom, and he's a, a world of knowledge. He's got a great team over there. Those guys work tirelessly um, trying to build the best product out there. And to be honest with you, I think they're doing a pretty damn good job of that. So, Kyle, how you been, man? Thanks for having me on, Casey. It's been a while. Um, things are things are really good here in Tractor Zoom. Uh, it's almost Christmas, and I think it's supposed to be sixty degrees on Christmas Eve. So, uh, field work is still on the mind, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I keep watching the auction market and now the dealer market. Uh, things are going well. Yep. How's uh, how's twenty one been, man? Let's talk about that as a as a very macro level stuff here. So we came out of twenty twenty post COVID shutdowns, all those kind of things, and now those kind of things. And then uh, you know, for a minute, corn was almost free, and now we've rallied back around to where corn. I think the other day I looked at it, it was almost over six bucks. Wheat's over eight. Soybeans are almost a thirteen. I mean, so we're getting back up there. But the but the tail end of that is the input cost story that we're seeing out there. So none of that of which has played any has slowed any uh, demand for equipment down in twenty and in going into twenty two at all. So I guess as you take uh, kind of rewind back to to twenty twenty one and kind of look that over, what are some of your big takeaways for the for the year? Yeah, uh, I think we we tracked over three thousand auctions and a little over two billion dollars of farm machinery sold at auction this year, and it's it's pretty it's pretty funny to look back at just the conversations and not just the equipment but agriculture in general at the at the turn of at the end of twenty twenty beginning of twenty one is all about high commodity prices how high can we get let's look at all this profitability. And then we saw input prices and, and cost of production starting to rise in the middle of this year. And now it's all about supply and demand. And 
I, I think we're starting to hear more about renewable diesel and how that's the new ethanol boom. So we're back to our optimistic ways, um, I guess, as farmers. But you know, through the through the auction, uh, through the auctions this year, we've seen inventory down and pr- prices dramatically higher. And that's obviously a combination of uh, high net farm income, bigger yields than we probably expected in 21. Um, and then now we're going into the end of the year. People are, people have started to realize, just talking with accountants out there, farmers are obviously starting the conversation of wanting to upgrade equipment, take advantage of bonus depreciation and tax incentives by the by the end of the year. Um, in no in December alone, I know I'm getting a little ahead of us from a 2021 perspective. In December alone, row crop tractor prices have been up 36% from December 2020 to December 2021. In the month of December, those machines selling. So comparing December to December, row crop tractor prices are up 36%. Question we always ask is, okay, that's, that's wild. What is the quality difference? It was an average of 2,900 hours in both of those months. So the usage on those machines is the same. So we're seeing some pretty crazy prices. And in, uh, supply in the month of December was down 46%. So naturally, we're seeing a lot fewer machines come to auction and much higher prices being paid. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the thing right now. If you can, uh, the 36% makes a lot of sense because if it's available now for sale, um, there's a lot of stuff that's available in June, July, you know, those kind of time frames. But if it's delivered, if you if you have a reason to buy something now for a tax driven reason, um, you're you're going to have to pay more for it because you have a very very small you know bag to to sell out of, um, especially in December. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've always said I thought between November and February. November, December of 21 and mm-hmm. January, February of 2022 will be your two best times to sell a piece of equipment. Um, if you're, if you're in the market to do that, because quite frankly, if you still have stuff, if you still have something readily available in those, those time frames, either it's a tax reason thing or it's a deferred comp thing going over to the first year and you guys are getting ready for harvest or sorry, plant season and, and looking at what they're going to need for, for early spring harvest and, if you have it available, it's going to be worth a lot more for sure. Yeah. And what I, what I think is unique. So as, as we look at, like, let's just say tractors, okay, that, that price is dramatically higher. Uh, you also have to think about just overall inflation. And right. as we start to look at new machines coming to market, uh, you know this better than I do, uh, how much higher price new machines are going into 22 than they were in 21. So that's also helping drive that market. Um, uh, you know, net farm income is one thing. But I'd say holistically from 2020 to 2021, what we've seen is low supply and high demand. The one, the one interesting asset class or type of machine is uh, that, that surprised us from a supply standpoint. It was the only category that the supply was higher this year than it was last year, which is self-propelled sprayers. And we see that as kind of a nice-to-have machine, not always a need-to-have. But in good commodity times, farmers are realizing the ROI and the benefit of, of having their own application equipment and spraying, applying, 
um, uh, chemical mo more times throughout the year and less reliant on the co-op or uh, a custom uh, application um, individual doing that. So that is one of the, that is also one of the hotter uh, categories and supplies even been up. So it's hard to say that supply is the only issue um, that's happened in 2021. And um, that'll be really interesting to see how, how this plays out and into 2022. Yep. So you're talking about sprayers there, and that's an interesting point. What's do you know off the top of your head what the the difference in like you talked about combines being 2,900 hours worth of use? Is it the same on the sprayers? Were they hour wise? Were they pretty close to each other? I don't have that that stat right in front of me. Um, I'd, I'd have to go to our data team to uh, to pull that. But what we've seen, we saw. 307 sprayers from January to the end of November come to the market uh, this year and only 275 coming to the market last year. Uh -huh. um, and self-propelled sprayers, these are higher quality sprayers, $25,000 and above uh, and under 5,000 hours. And the price premium this year was 10% higher than it was last year. Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So I just... Look at some of these sprayers that we're looking at now, and the hours seem higher just because they've ran them longer and they've done a few more things to them than, uh, than we've seen in the past. So that is a, definitely a market that is very fickle, just like you said. It's uh, nice to have, not, not necessarily a must on the farm. But when you look at um, okay, when you look at like four-wheel drive tractors, what are you guys seeing there as far as I can? Yeah, I mean that's that's going to be similar to row crop tractors. Mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about row crop tractors, we define that as MFWDs. But four wheel drive, um, there's obviously more demand. Um, supply hasn't changed. It's it's one of the more flatline asset categories out there. Prices are up about nine percent um, uh, through November, and so into December is actually going to be a little bit higher, probably about that twelve thirteen percent. What what we're really starting to notice is the difference of a uh, uh, four-wheel drive tractor from 2009, people are willing to pay much more for modern technology and, and a four-wheel drive. So that price difference on that higher-end newer machine is, is dramatically higher. Are you seeing more, uh, when you look at like track machines like that, it seems like there's a little more um, interest nationwide in either a two track or a quad track four track type of machine are you seeing more uh where those machines are are holding their value higher than than what you would expect as a cost of maybe when they were new or something like that year over year depreciation scale yeah um i don't have that stat right in front of me here to to identify or or to tell you with data uh the depreciation schedules but that's something our software can start to look at um to, to identify that have you noticed more of those machines popping up in auctions yes a lot more yeah. and I, and I, but but I, that also goes to sometimes it takes three years for a new machine to significantly hit the auction market there's always those anomalies where it's a one-year-old's one-year-old machine or right. a hundred hour machine to come to auction but to have some good comparable sales to build the data set uh, and draw conclusions. Sometimes it takes three years of that machine to be in the market before you can start to, to see a lot of that. But yeah, we did, uh, we started looking at some 9620 RXs 
in November and we did a study just looking at how much uh, more people are willing to pay. And people were paying the same price. Um, if you looked at 2020, the end of November of 2020 on a 9620RX, they're willing to pay the same amount then for a 300-hour machine this year at an 1,800-hour machine. So the same price is being paid for a 300-hour machine last year is what they're paying for an 1,800-hour machine this year. And that kind of goes back to what's available. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what's available. And, and so Aaron and I talked about that in a podcast not too long ago where we, we were talking about how those you know, the late model low hour segments and what those look like and how those, that's, that scale was going to start to slide. And that, you know, because of the lack of, you know, 300 hour, 400 hour, 500 hour tractors that that scale was going to slide up to 750 or a thousand or something like that. That was going to be your new kind of later model, low hour kind of approach to that. And that's, that's the data that kind of proves that, that theory a little bit, you know, you're looking at, and that's a big jump. Now that's 1500 hours, but that's, the same time, that's what's available. Yeah, and that's a 2019 machine, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. if, if somebody's putting that many hours on it in one year, you have to you have to think that they've been run pretty hard over the last last year or two to get yeah. to that hour range. Exactly. Exactly right. When you uh, but but I think I think you bring up a good point. Um, I'm looking at data right now. I know we're switching topics, but over on the combine side. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of goes back to what you're you're talking about, where the hour of a machine, which you're used to be, what you're used to buying, is going to have to increase if you want optionality. When we're looking at combines, the average uh, separator hour for a combine this year compared to last was up fourteen percent. Okay, fourteen percent from this 14%. time last year. Okay, so you okay. So I mean, it's like holistically-ish, somewhere in the neighborhood of about a ten percent organic growth in that. As you throw inflation, yeah, okay. That's the thing too. When you start, like, how do you measure inflation on that? Like, where does that? What what number are you using to manage? Is that that seven percent inflation that we hear people get tossed around out there? Because if that's true, then the actual um, price of a machine kept up with uh, basically the the price increase. You know what I mean? You take out, you factor out the inflation. So that's that's kind of the that's the the double edged sword there a little bit. Yeah. So, so this is so the average uh, separator average machine coming to market is at fourteen percent. So if it was a the average oh, okay. combine okay, market last year was a thousand sep hours. This year's yeah. this year it's eleven hundred and forty hours. Right. So okay. it's just aged inventory. So it goes along to exactly what you and uh, Aaron were discussing. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I misunderstood what you said, but yeah, that's uh, you're exactly right. That, and they're still paying the same amount of money for it. And that's the that's the crazy thing about that is that, again, crazy times that we're in. If it's available, it's worth fourteen to twenty five percent more just based on what you're telling me. Yeah, well, in that in the same data set we're looking at, that's six. It, uh, the prices are up sixteen percent year over year on combines. Um. Uh, their older machines are more uh, they have more hours on them and it's still up 16 percent. so if you start to look at that on a more parallel basis that's actually up 22 to 24 percent year over year mm-hmm. so it's still a big price increase but what does that look like from if if, if you were going to market to buy a new machine right price increases are quite are, are not quite that high but 
Yeah, and I think that's the other thing too. So you start looking at if I'm a guy coming to the market right now and I want to buy a a brand new machine, or there's the one year old machine that's available right now, you're starting to starting to kind of cut hairs there a little bit. Like which one is actually which one's the better deal? Like one of my we get a new one, warranty and all the things that come along with that. And I'm, I'm the only one that's ever doing it, blah, 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 blah. But you have the 300-hour machine sitting out there right now, and you can go buy it. Which You're 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 really buying a – you're not saving much money, I guess, if you go and buy the used one. It's all about – it's all coming around. It comes down to is how soon do you need it. Because if you are a new machine today, it's 23 before you get it. I don't care what manufacturer you are across the board it's it's that it's somewhere in that neighborhood so <laughs> i guess it jumps down to how soon do you need it and and what are you willing are you willing to make that that investment right now yeah uh new machines <laughs> usually if you look at a depreciation curve of new machines coming to market uh, naturally the steepest depreciation curve is right off the lot in the first three years right and that starts to level out because then you have to start to have some reconditioning costs and you have to start right. investing in the machine. For those first few years, you don't. Um, that depreciation schedule or that depreciation curve is starting to get screwed up. And <laughs> be, be, because there's so much demand and so much cash out there willing to buy that one-year-old machine and they realize they price a new one, and they realize it got to take a year to, to two years to get that new machine. So they're willing to yeah. pay up. And they see the, the, the price of that. So they're going to pay up for that one-year-old uh, use machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a just weird. I mean, everything that you know about equipment right now is just kind of thrown out the window because none of it, every day is a new day. There's no uncharted water. There's like no new, there's no pre-existing information out there that shows you this is what you should be doing in this time frame. Yeah. And if you want to like, in our opinion, obviously we're a data company, but you have to look at the data to start to see the trends. I mean, if you, if you only looked at November on row crop tractor prices, November to November of 2020 to 2021, they're up 27%. But then you go into December, the biggest, typically the biggest machinery buying month of the year, right? Now they're up 36%. So you had an, yeah, you had a 9% gain in one month. Yeah. I, we sit back and say that's simply supply and people wanting to save some money on some taxes. Yeah. And I don't think the supply thing really lightens up at all until you get to about this time next year, because I think most, most manufacturers are going to have late fourth quarter, early, you know, well, late third quarter, early fourth quarter deliveries of a lot of new equipment. And there's going to be a surge of, of equipment that hits the market, in my opinion. And I think, he might see something there, but that stuff is going to get gobbled up just as fast as, as anything else has been. Because in a lot of cases, most of that stuff's already pre-sold. They're just trying to, they're just waiting for the new piece to get delivered. So let me bounce this off you. A uh, podcast or two ago, Aaron, I made a prediction that we wouldn't see another um, inventory issue till 2030, right? So we're at, it's 2022 now. And the reason I said that is because we have three years of this kind of high demand, low supply kind of thing, and the cabinet really never gets full, right? So whenever we might, you know, you have nine, you sell eight, you get, you know, nine more come in, you sell eight. So you got two kind of hanging around, whatever else, kind of keep pushing way through that. 
and then um, you start to see this kind of pile up into into twenty. Our inventory start to grow anyway between twenty five, twenty six, and twenty seven. Twenty seven, we're having similar conversations to what we had in twenty twelve because you know times are good. We got lots of fun on the shelf. You know things are gray and great. Sell a lot of new, but the used were selling into a, a big backlog of used equipment. And it's 28, 29 when we're sitting back going like, oh, I think we feel like we got a little bit of a of an issue here. 2030 is kind of 2014 all over again. Have you guys looked at anything like that as as a predictor of, of kind of past past data that you have going through that time frame and done some futuristic projections of what you think inventories might look like? You know, we we haven't from a data or data science perspective really analyzed that uh, that far out. Uh, so, so what I'm going to say is my personal opinion and, and just me reading the market, uh, with all the data, I guess I have in my, in my head, but I could see that. I think the demand is going to continue to be there. It's not, it's not necessarily, there's, there's a lot of cash in farmer's pockets from this year. Sure. Um, I mean, I saw my net farm income this year and, uh, you know, really shocked me, uh, in a good way. So, I, I think that's that's going to continue into 2022. And as you start to look at 24, 25, 26, it's going to be a whole different geopolitical scheme. It's going to be a whole different uh, market. Mm-hmm. I believe that OEMs will figure out how to supply the market. We will get supply back. I think dealers have done a really good... They, dealers learned back in 13, 14, what high inventories do. Uh, to to your profit and your bottom margin. So I don't think dealers will oversupply themselves based on what they learned in 2014. But then the next thing that I keep hearing about is renewable diesel, right? We just saw the new the and and uh, aircraft fuel. Right. So we keep talking to economists and they start talking about how that renewable diesel uh, and all these soy um, processing plants that are going up could be the next ethanol boom and ethanol kind of take a, a, a back seat. So that just tells me a lot more demand, prosperity for farmers, and more willingness to buy newer, nicer, better machines uh, to capture a lot of that profit. Because I think what farmers have learned historically is if I invest in better technology, I can get a better ROI, not necessarily a bigger yield, but a better ROI. So you guys, you guys are, are, are uh, the inventory experts. We're always looking at the world from a a rear view uh, perspective. Uh, we haven't put the prescriptions in place to look at a forward looking basis too hard, but that that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. I think there's two, I think there's two things out there that'll really change um, the way inventory is on the lot and the way it looks too. One is uh, there's going to be a, a mass number of farmers that retire over the next three years. I, I fully believe that. I feel like some guys were going to retire in, in 12, 13, 14, and you know, held out for one more year. And that one year kind of caught them and they had to kind of ride it out to get that equity back. And I think you're going to have their equity back in three years. And I think there's those 65 to 75 year old farmers that I mean, they're, they're going to go. I mean, they're going to go away. They're going to retire. Big bulk of those guys don't have anyone coming back to the farm to, to operate anything when they come back. So I think, you know, obviously the farmers are going to get bigger. A lot of capital is going to flow into agriculture too. I mean, just trying to find the right guy that might be the right farmer, but he's just uh, he or she's just not not capital 
rich, you know, and, and there could be some money that comes in that could drive that. And you start seeing some three and 4,000 acre farmers going to, you know, 10 and 15, 20,000 acre farmers just because of that. But I think that the retirement of guys going out and then whatever happens with the autonomous vehicle side of it too, is going to be a big deal because I truly believe that once autonomous vehicles come into play and they're there that, and then you've kind of offset the operator and there's not that many operators out there anymore operating equipment. And there's more just machines out there driving themselves that there's not going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of features that are in machines now that are kind of a creature featured thing that are the additional, like, you know, massaging seat and all these kind of things, all that kind of stuff is going to go to the wayside. It's going to be more focused on the technology side of it. And it's going to be way more driven by how, how fast can it drive itself and how often you have to recharge it and what does the support equipment look like and blah, 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 blah. The faster that ramps up, that changes the direction of, I think used inventory for the simple fact of if I'm an operator, if I'm, if I'm a farmer now, I don't need to have a big leap in, in my equipment year over year, because at that point it's kind of like a, a, a laptop computer. I mean, you get a laptop, you run it for four or five years and then all of a sudden it's so slow and outdated that you can't keep up with it. And you go get a new one. I really think that's going to, you're going to see similar technology. That's going to play a big factor in that. And on top of that, too, and that because that's a, we're talking eight years from now, and you see what over the last past eight years, what technology is done. Could you imagine what the next eight is going to look like? If you start factoring all those things into play, and what does that whole thing look like? When does the subscription model start to come into used equipment? Into equipment, you know, when if I'm, you know, if I'm a farmer and I can, you know, the machinery link aspect of this thing, you know, I mean, they were just 20 years ahead of their time. That's really kind of what it comes down to. And you start factoring that in there. You have a wave of, of freaking drones that start in Texas and work their way north. It's like a swarm of locusts coming across the countryside. And, and all of a sudden, I just need my plant, my thing here to plant between these days and keep on keeping on from there. I think that that's another factor that really starts playing into this whole scheme of what what's used equipment look like over the next 10 years. If that stuff starts to happen, then I don't think used equipment is, is, a, is a question that we're having. The question we're having is who we're going to sell it to because there's not going to be enough people, enough bodies to, to actually use the equipment as it comes out. I couldn't agree more with, with a lot of what you said. And I was starting to write notes here as you're mentioning a lot of that. It, I mean, you're already starting to see farming go from uh, the, the, the progressive farmers. You know, I'm willing to go operate my equipment and they're more or less operating a business, right? They have risk management and they're making investment decisions. That's, that's simply where it's going. Um, and I think I have a unique perspective just on the technology side as, as we analyze the market and just, we're always watching what's happening. Um, so venture capital is, is investors investing in companies and new technology that are bullish on uh, forward looking industry trends. And in 20, 16, there was $700 million of venture capital invested in uh, ag tech, ag technology in the United States. This year, it is projected to hit $7 billion. So agriculture is kind of that next wave of compounding technology growth, where I couldn't agree with you more that it, could, it, it the, how fast technology is going, that 
two-year-old technology right now is new technology. But five-year-old technologies, it's getting kind of old. In 10 years from now, two-year-old technology will be too old to be operated because of how fast technology is compounding and the ROI that farmers as the consumer will, will see. Uh, it's, it's funny to bring this up. I was scrolling through, I don't know, a social platform. I probably on too many of them. And there was a individual that screenshotted his uh, text from some economist saying 21 years ago that the internet is just a fad. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've talked, you know, how many people I talked to in that time frame, I thought that. So, so, uh, young, so, yeah. so the younger generation is more willing to embrace technology and they're going to yep. be making investment decisions on technology to, to scale their operation. Yeah. I had this conversation the other day that we start looking at gen one technology, some of this technology is coming out now. I mean, you look at like scene spray, for example, that's, that's probably the easiest one to, to point at, you know, deers making claims of up to, up to 70%, you know, um, reduction in chemical. Well, that's awesome. You know, when you're looking at the way it is now, you start looking at that Gen 4 technology that comes, that's coming down the line. Not only is it looking at, I mean, I'm, just, I'm guessing here, but I mean, if it, I'm sure it's looking at the size of the plant, what kind of plant it is, um, what time of year it is, how much moisture is in. I mean, there's all these things that's taken into consideration. And it knows exactly to the drop how much of, how much herbicide to put down at that, that one particular spot. Now, if you're the guy that's got Gen 4, and this guy over here is just now getting Gen One, and he's you know, he's cut his spraying operation by fifty or seventy percent or whatever the number is. Awesome, great. The Gen Four guys cut Gen One guys amount of chemical he's spraying by seventy percent. So now you got this guy over here that was spraying one hundred thousand gallons of chemical a year or whatever the number is, just for easy math, right? So now he's spraying um, thirty thousand gallons. This guy over here is spraying seventy percent of his thirty. You know what I mean? So now you start looking at at economies of scale and and how those things all play in there and even if all your grounds paid for and it's a hundred percent thing now you're you're still you're still gonna have a hard time competing in the marketplace because this guy's operation is now 70 percent more efficient than yours that those kind of things start coming into play with all this technology and you look at planter technology that's coming on the path of of multiple hybrids being on the same machine and all this stuff those are the kind of things that are a game changer when you start looking at used equipment and what's sitting on the lot because at that point, well, I don't need to trade till there's a better. I mean, it drives itself. It does all the things I need to do. My trade cycle now is uh, it might be every two years when it was every year. It also might be every every six months because that's how fast things are evolving and the next best things out there. And there's a better mousetrap. And I'm now spraying across my 20,000 acres with, you know, 99% less of whatever it was that I was doing, whatever it was with, you know, those things like you can't, that's the crystal ball of technology that you can't see right now. My, my previous statement was based on today's, today's trends and what we see happen right now. And if everything stayed the same, you know, it's kind of what it looked like. If you extrapolate that all out and you start taking in all these variabilities, you use inventory might not even be a thing to worry about because you don't, once well, see, that's where I disagree. So that's where I disagree. So we we got talking on all this new cool technology that come down, increase uh, uh, farmers will get larger, right? Um, and and I, I think the core of it is equipment will always be a super important aspect, 
whether it's small or big, whether it's mm -hmm. diesel powered or electric powered, what, whatever the case, that something, some machine is going to have to plant the crop, sure. uh, whatever machine that is. And if you bring it back to used equipment, if you look at historically the uh, appreciation rate of farmland has always been 2% per year. If you if you look at it in history, that's where it is. If you look at equipment, it's 4% per year. And then you have years like this year where it's up 10% to more. I'll let you speak on how much more that would be. Uh, but that those prices are going to stick in an inflation uh, inflationary environment today. So if you look at a uh, farmer's balance sheet 10 years ago, it was probably made up of... Uh, uh, between land and equipment, seventy-five percent of the balance of a farmer's balance sheet was land. Twenty-five percent was equipment. Today, as we work with a lot of the big our, our software is used by a lot of the big banks and in, in agriculture, that balance sheet now looks like it's more of 50-50 farmland to equipment. So as equipment continues to get more uh, expensive, our view in the market is you have a lot more risk to manage as the combine approaches a million dollars sometime down in the future you have that much more risk to manage what that asset value is and when you should be buying and when you should be selling. Um, so when it becomes used, somebody's, somebody's going to want to buy it. There'll always be a used market, uh, but the gap between new and used can continue to be large. I think, I think as things become more autonomous and they get to be more of just, just a widget and I'm a, if I'm a, if I have a farm operation I'm, and I'm not worried about I need an experienced operator. This, you know, like I've always had to go out and do these things. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I start looking at equipment as just a, you know, I might not. I mean, I don't think many farm. I don't think they're going to own it. I think it's going to be more, you know, like the, the co-op or the ASPs or whomever that is. The the you know the quote unquote machinery links of the world are going to going to revitalize themselves and and come back in and be like. Now, I'm not hauling a, you know, 35,000 pound combine all over the place. I've got a, you know, I got a, you know, a six, 150 horsepower size machine that I'm going to stick out there and it's going to go, I got 10 of them in the field. They're going to go plant it real fast. And, oh, I'm done. Moving on to the next one. And I just don't think, I just don't see too many people owning that stuff when it becomes fully autonomous because they don't, again, economy of scale. You know what I mean? So you're saying we're going to, so when you drive around town, you see all these lawn and landscaping businesses and everybody affords the lawnmower and goes and mows your yard. Now we're going to see a bunch of fleets of uh, tractors out there. Uh, I, I think today we call it custom farming. And I think what they're trying to coin it later in life is, uh, is farming. Uh, uh, yeah, farming, but I yeah. think they're calling it farming as a service. Right. Yeah. Well, I think about like the autonomous vehicle. Let's talk about all cars for a minute here, like autonomous cars. If I could just have an app on my phone where I hit the button and the car shows up, I don't really care if it's my car or somebody else's car. I just need a car. I don't know that I'll own a, I don't know that I own a car when that happens. You just hit the button and it shows up and it costs me the same, whether it's mine or somebody else's. At that point, why do you need it? And I think that's the same thing in farming. It could be. I think it's going to be pretty hard to break farmers' uh, just love and passion for equipment. I think you're right, but you're talking about a new generation that's coming in that that don't have the same attachment to this is mom's tractor, this is dad's tractor, that's grandpa's tractor. You know, those kind of things. They'll still have 
you know, dad's first tractor in the, in the garage, you know, in the shed sitting back there, but and they'll get it out for parade day and drive around, drive their eight R three seventy down, you know, 30 years from the local parade, parade, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in a local parade. But I think there's going to be a, I think this, it's a wide open thing that I think there's, is going to be so unrecognizable in 10 years that we won't, you and I'll be talking about this and, you know, and remember when people used to own their own equipment. I think it's, I think we're going to be close to that. I, I, so what, what is going to happen in the used market then? Well, that's just it. I mean, I think then you start looking at these developing nations around the world. You know, you start taking a look at a lot of this stuff going over, like in Africa, especially, you know, I think that's where you start seeing these um, big movements in, in used equipment, like in the U S there's a big movement of um, equipment from the North to the South. Right. And even more so there's a lot of row crop tractors that come out of the South and move up to the North. But that, that migration of equipment, you know, is a basically a four or five state move in, in each one of these things. And you're, and you're in a different, different world. I think what happens in the U S and Canada, um, you're, you're going to start seeing that equipment hit a certain lifespan in, in the North American continent. It's going to go to Africa. And when it gets to Africa, it's going to be, you know, 10 or 15 years old and it's going to be doing their, their demand for um, things are going to be a little bit different because of the soil contents and what they're growing and the the need or their lack thereof of, of fertilizer and those kind of things because of the nutrients that are in the ground already because it's, you know, recently ripped up soil and blah, 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 all those kind of things that come into play as that migration of equipment goes to Africa Eastern Europe, Asia, um, where more of these developing countries are, that's where that stuff's going to end up. And they're going to, it's going to further transform um, the landscape of, of farming because the U.S. might not be the most dominant agricultural country on the planet anymore. It might be Zimbabwe, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or someplace like that. But there's a lot of things that go into, into that thing. But infrastructure obviously is a big part of that but that's that's how i see it happen it's like that flow of equipment was just going to go over there and they're gonna they're gonna use it up till it dies and it's just like mexico 10 years ago when i first started this business they needed a combine or a tractor that was you know 15 year old combines 30 40 year old tractors they might take a you know 15 year old plant or something like that and that's kind of where the market is that's transitioned now where they're looking at three, four, five-year-old combines, two, three, four-year-old track. I mean, that, that's a way more prevalent vintage of tractor than, than what it was even five years ago. You know, so now we're starting to see what, you know, you send all your old stuff to Mexico. Well, not anymore. You keep, you keep going south with it. You get to like Central America, Northern South, South America, and, and then you're starting to see that equipment show up down there. So, and even to that point, that newer equipment starting to get down there new because of all the money pouring into Brazil and Argentina and Bolivia and all those places down there. You're seeing more and more, um, you put it more and more of that, that technology's getting there, but they still have infrastructure issues they got to overcome. Yeah. And, and I, I think part of that, um, what's going to help the industry or the world get there is, uh, more data and more information around the used piece of machinery 
if you look at 10 years ago where internet was sort of a thing, but I think people still looked at uh, tractors and newspapers and mag magazines sure. a lot. Okay, let's call it 15 years ago. You know, you always bought from the local dealer and you had the chance to go down there, kick the tires, maybe look at it more in person. And now with the power of simply photos and bidding online, uh, like COVID totally uh, made our equipment world go online. And it forced people who were unwilling to uh, look at equipment uh, online or, or do deals over the internet, it forced them to because that's how they had to. So it what I, I guess what I'm getting at is you look at the power of the internet and the data that we can now collect around machines that'll help people understand, is it a good piece? Is it a bad piece? What's the service history like? Uh, and start to make a better decision from a thousand miles away versus having to look at it. Uh, are you, so are you guys, I, I know from the auction side, we're seeing a ton of sight unseen. I was talking to one of our biggest auctioneers uh, and he told me, 50% of machinery at their consignment sales are shipped. A truck and trailer is brought in and that piece of equipment is loaded on and shipped out of there. It's not driven home that small eight foot disc isn't towed behind a Duramax home anymore. It's like, it, it's going around the world. Yeah. Yeah. I know us. I mean, obviously the local buyers still coming in and, want to see stuff and, you know, want to touch it and feel it and those kind of things. But the amount of stuff being bought and sold on the internet, the amount of stuff that was being sight unseen sold, you know, I mean, I bet that's, I mean, that's gotta be at any dealership. I gotta believe that's 25% or better um, of the equipment that just, that's going away that no one ever sees or they don't see it till they get it. Yep. You know, it could be in China or it could be in, you know, Garden City, Kansas. You know, who knows where that's at? That's Garden right. City, Kansas. <laughs> it could be. It could be anywhere in there. So it's it's definitely a and uh, it's a different approach to what we're doing now, for sure. Okay, so that's all pretty future. So we can only control what's going to happen in 2022. What do you think that we'll see in the first quarter of 2022? Do you think this uh, demand will slide off now that people are having to make purchases before the end of the year. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of people making as many input purchases as they could because net farm incomes be higher this year than next. Will that drive prices lower or with the, I don't think so. there's not going to be the demand still going to be the same or the supply is still going to be the same. I don't, the first quarter of, of my opinion, as far as I can see, um, I don't see much of uh, much of anything different. Um, in that first quarter, um, second quarter, third quarter, I think you might start seeing a little bit of relief. I think you'll see more relief in the fourth quarter too, but there again, there's a lot of equipment out there that's waiting for the new piece to show up. So the next four pieces can be sold. And I just, I think that, that, that first time it happens, it's going to, it's going to pretty much gobble up everything. The second time is going to be the same way. Um, when you get to that third lift, the third tranche of equipment that comes through, that's when you're going to start to see things have some level of normalcy in it because I think by the time the third lift, the tractors come through and combines and those kind of things come through. I'm not talking like three years from now. I'm talking like, you know, 18 months from now supply. I, I would hope by then supply has kind of caught up out of the factory and it's starting to kind of catch up with demand too. And you're going to start seeing that 24, 25 timeframe, you know, to be way more normal than what, what we describe as normal anyway. Um, 
down. So I don't think I, I'm not saying that 22 is going to be significantly better than 21, but it's going to be somewhat better than 21. From an inventory standpoint. Inventory standpoint, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just I think as more people price new equipment, they're going to realize how much more that they are willing to pay more for a used piece than want to go buy the the, the new machine because of those wait times. So yeah. we at Tractor Zoom uh, do not anticipate prices coming down in the foreseeable future, and inventory will continue to be a, uh, an issue. We have a we have a data point. <clears throat> we call it. Uh, Asset accumulation. So throughout 2021, there were, and you know, naturally you can kind of see this from the uh, supply issues at dealers and, and even at auctions. What has happened is, uh, what has happened happened from the asset accumulation stage is people have been buying a second machine versus trading it in. So that they, in case of a breakdown, they know they can't, if they think they can't get parts, that they're starting to hoard more. They have net farm income to have more equipment, more equipment than they necessarily need. And we don't foresee them, you know, surging the market, throwing all their used pieces back on the market at any certain time. But uh, uh, that's going to continue to allow for additional expansion and soak up more acres when, when more folks retire the next couple of years. Yep. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I agree with that 100%. So, well, Kyle, I think that's probably a good place to jump off. We covered a lot of ground on this one. So, as usual, when you're on here. So, if folks want to reach out to you and the folks at Tractor Zoom to see what you guys are doing over there, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, go check out the all new Tractor Zoom website, tractorzoom.com. You can now look at auction inventory, uh, farm equipment from over 500 auctioneers auction companies across the entire United States. And uh, here's of three months ago, we just started adding uh, dealer inventory. So now you can go see the inventory of uh, more than 900 dealer stores on TractorZoom. So go look at all of the uh, equipment coming up for sale or uh, at dealer lots at tractorzoom.com. Right on. That's a big thing too. Now you have a place of, uh, you have two unbiased sorts of sources of information. The auction data plus retail data. And you can look at those two things and see how they correlate. So commend you yeah, guys for what you're doing over there. And we've got some super innovative things uh launching here in the first quarter. Um I, I better not I better not launch them here on the podcast, but we can <laughs> hop on the podcast and Absolutely. Uh, discuss them at that time. I think my, our marketing department might not like me for for uh breaking uh that seal open. So uh yeah, we're uh, you'll, you'll continue to see us using data to help people make better decisions and uh, have some exciting products coming out here in the first part of uh, next year, which is only like eight days away. So yeah, we better get cranking. You're getting close. So anyway, well, Kyle, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Happy, happy new year. Merry Christmas to you and your family and all the people there. Attracted. You as well. Thanks. All right, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, um, go to movingironllc.com for all the latest doings with Moving Iron. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Comic Man. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. 
Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here